joining me, everyone. And if you notice my voice, it's a little bit off. It's just recovering. I usually lose my voice at the beginning of every school year. And I guess this is this is the time. Uh, but thank you for joining me for this podcast with Julie Haller. She is absolutely an amazing Navy mom and Air Force officer, retired, I believe. And uh, she's just been such a good friend and an incredible resource to all of our Navy families. Julie, welcome. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me again. I always enjoy doing your podcasts. And yeah, I went to the Air Force Academy, graduated, served uh, five years active duty, and then I went into the reserves and I separated as a major. So I did not um, quite retire. Um, my husband, who was my classmate, did retire. He retired in 2014. So well, um, thank Navy, you both Navy mom, pleasure. Air Force spouse. So, <laughs> yeah. That's a big accomplishment. Thank you both for your service. And we are going to focus today because we already did a podcast focusing on plebe summer and plebe year. And I thought as the class of 2023 gets ready to come, which I can't believe, and you're a 2023 mom. Yeah, and it blows my mind. Yeah, and then you've had three other mids come through the Naval Academy. And so you have just a little bit of experience with commissioning. <laughs> I've had my two, but one was virtual and the other one was uh, in person. And I thought let's dedicate some time to the upper class this time around because there's so much focus. And especially over the summer, my personal focus is to help guide parents through plebe summer and years as well, and then plebe year. So let's focus a little bit on the upper class, what they're going to look at this year, some of the highlights as second class and then firsties, maybe some of the trainings that they might go through in between. And then of course, the big deal is commissioning, right? the, the pinnacle and the crowning glory of the whole uh, USNA experience. So we've heard a little bit about your background, which is incredible. What are some of your, some of the highlights or things that you remember about second class parents weekend for the second class parents that are going through it now? And then maybe future ones that would listen. So second class parents weekend was, is probably one of my favorite times on the yard because it's just such a different atmosphere than plea parent weekend was. I mean, you are, um, seeing your mid now in leadership positions and it's just it's a different dynamic than when you were there for plead parent weekend uh, one of my favorites was going to king hall for lunch because you got to see them kind of in action with their plebes and and it was, it's always fun and funny because they always do fun stuff um, to impress the parents while you're there and it's just it's more relaxed going to the football game you can go to the tailgates with your um you know, your company tailgates. And that, that's always such a fun time because they're relaxed and you're meeting their friends that you've met before, but it's in a different environment than when they were plebes. So there's like, there's like an excitement in the air, right? It's, yes. And yeah, now they're, really now they're second class are so much closer. They've signed their two for seven, right? So before yes. they class, they've signed their two for seven. They've made that commitment to finish the next two years and then serve five more. And, and how about the ring is that's one of my fondest memories. I'm, I'm not quite sure if they're still doing it that way. They choose their ring usually, or they look at the rings. They, Justin's has the whole thing set up uh, on the yard and they get, and you get to help them choose their ring. What do you remember about that? Cause for that, for us, that was very exciting. 
Yeah. So honestly, with ours, um, we didn't do any ring shopping over parents weekend at all. So um, they really? just, yeah, didn't even, um, they kind of had an idea with what, what they wanted and they sort of did all that on their own after parents weekend, mm -hmm. I think, and they have to have the selections in like maybe November. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. we didn't really, we were kind of hands off with the ring selections. Okay. Um, which is different. I mean, tons of parents are very involved. They go shopping. Some have like special stones, which we'll probably get to later talking about the actual rings. Um, right. But yeah, um, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, we, um, we, we didn't butt in, but our kids asked us to help them pick up the ring, especially the oldest, because it was the first one to go through. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun just to see him try on the different ones and what he was leaning toward. And yes, we can definitely talk about stones because he got both of the kids actually got different stones in their rings, but and also for parents weekend, they get to, a, we attended classes, which was so much fun. We got to see kind of what their academic day looks like. What was your favorite class? Do you remember of the three, four, four kids, right? Yeah. So Jack's the last one, we didn't get to go to classes because of COVID. So, oh, but for okay. the other three, I'd say, um, I think it was like a materials class. Cause like they had this machine that they like put something in and crushed it to see that like tensile strength, that kind of stuff. So that was probably the most interactive class where mm -hmm. the others you're kind of sitting back, just sort of listening to the lectures. So. The lectures. Yeah. It was funny because we sat through a cyber class where they were talking about arrays and I was like, I actually understand something about yeah. this. And then we went to EE and my dad studied EE at the Naval Academy. So I grew up like wiring stuff. And that was really fun because because they they he the professor gave us a short lecture and then we moved into the lab part where they were testing all these currents and this, that, and the other. So and my husband and I were able to be a little bit hands-on. And that was fun. Like you said, it was interactive. Yeah, and same be I was um my dad was an electronics technician. Mm -hmm. So he, in the air force, he did electronics and then he had his own business fixing, repairing TVs, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I grew up sort of with that. I was actually intended to major in double E when I went to the academy, didn't last. Didn't, nope, I'm nope. like, hey, <laughs> not doing that after my, my first double E course, but yeah. I did under, I could at least understand some of the part of their double E class a little bit yeah. enough, just like you said, enough to like help with some of that circuitry. It makes uh, it, it makes it fun. I think they all yeah. have to take one, at least one double E class, but yes. I think double E is one of the harder majors along with mechanical engineering and probably nuclear engineering and aerospace engineering. Second class parents weekend is also the, the second time and last time that we get to visit their quarters. Mm -hmm. uh, how was that for you having been there for plebe summer and visiting quarters and now going in as a detailer second class? Yeah, it's, I mean, completely different, again, different dynamic. Uh, one, I think one of the uh, things I remember the most is going up and seeing their, their boards. So the plebes have to make boards for the, all the officer and um, for the first and second class leadership positions. So you get to see their board that's dedicated like to the wardroom officer and, and I'm not sure what they call the sergeant, maybe boardroom sergeant. Um, and it's all decorated, has their names on it. And so they're all, you know, pretty proud of that. So getting a picture of their, their quote board was pretty cool. And, and for the, for the plebes parents that may be listening, that's one of the many duties 
that your plebe has to do is to work with the first seed to design a board that they like and then put it up. And I have heard of cases where the board has had to come down and to start over. Yes. Again. So in addition to everything else they have to do, they have to go and shop for the materials, design it, get the approval and everything. So that was a lot of fun to see it. And it's something special, either um, a service assignment that they're hoping they'll get or something that they've done at the academy or a role that they're involved in or their major or something like that. And, um, and one of the things that we really had fun with was that we were, it's right before lunch when you visit or when we visited quarters, it was to see the, the actual the chow calls. Yes. The chow calls. The actual yeah. chow calls in person. And I remember one of my uh, oldest friends, she walked up to a plebe and they're like, doing their chow call and she's like yelling in their face and they're still doing their chow call and then she turns around and then she winks at us and smiles and walks away and that was just too funny <laughs> that's that's funny yeah that brought back memories because we used to at the air force academy we used to have to call minutes you have to you say what the menu was for the meal and what the uniform was and so it's like oh flashbacks <laughs> not a good memory <laughs> yeah so that's all things that uh, parents uh, got to see this weekend, which is great. And then future second class parents will get to see. And then the other thing that's important about second class year is that you really start to look toward commissioning. You start thinking about some of the planning. Do they want to rent a home? Do they want to stay in a hotel? Like what's going to be best for the family? location for their rentals and just starting that process of planning for that big week. What do you remember about that at this juncture, Julie? Because you went, you've gone through it three times already and are getting ready for your fourth. So you're a pro. Yes. So yeah, we, I kind of always tell people kind of wait till after they sign their two for seven yeah. and then there's always still plenty. Some, some jump the gun and they go ahead and get their commissioning homes after plea parent weekend, which is fine. Um, some of us prefer to wait just to make sure that they're going to sign that two for seven, yeah. it, which, so we did, like you said, we actually just, um, just got our rental home kind of confirmed and down at the end of the summer. So we were nice. late this year, but luckily there was still, um, plenty available. We were able to find what we needed. So we generally go with a house. Um, just because we have, you know, with all the kids and then my husband's parents that usually come, we, you know, the space is, it's much more economical for us to go with a house. Some people might just be the parents. So hotels might be a better option. Mm -hmm. We usually look on midrents.com is where we mm -hmm. usually have rented from and have had good luck with that. Yeah, definitely. The, the house, so we went through three houses. So we were one of the people that jumped the gun. <laughs> and, uh, but I have to say that uh, the homeowner, we rented for I day, we rented for plea parent weekend, love the area, love the house, asked our son, he's like, yeah, I think if, you know, if it works out, that would be great. And the owner was fantastic because she just kind of penciled in our name without any deposit or anything of the sort. And then oh, she nice. said, we'll, we'll revisit it second class year, but you have first choice. So that kind of gave us peace of mind. Um, but in the end, we ended up, uh, he ended up changing his mind. So on second class year, we ended up thanking her. We still rent from her actually when we visit. Um, and, but he opted not to do that house. He didn't want to be downtown. 
he wanted to be by the water. So we rented another house. We signed a contract that time. And I go through all of this in my book, Ad Nauseam, a USNA Moms Journal, and it's available exclusively at the mid-store right now. Um, and I go through all the questions that you can ask when you're going through, a, you know, when you're considering a rental, things to consider, um, and never, and one of the things I mentioned in the book is never be afraid to um, ask the homeowner to add terms that benefit you. And if exactly. they don't want to add terms that benefit you, because uh, contracts tend to be, you know, they're just boilerplate templates and they benefit the homeowner, but they don't mention what happens if they can't provide the house. What happens if um, if the contract is mutually canceled? What happens to the funds? How fast do I get them? Um, what's going to be the penalty if we cancel? How much of that money do we get back? What happens if there's a COVID, right? So all of those things that you can consider, I have a, like a list of 20 questions in my book that you can look at and consider when you're looking at rentals. Um, and so the, the second house fell through because unfortunately the homeowner got ill and we didn't want to put that pressure on them. So we went on mid rents and we found the house that we actually rented there. And I do have a few other websites um, that, and I forget now which ones they are, but they're in the book. But yeah, thank you for that advice because that works out really well. And then as you move through second class year, you're looking at, they start to consider their service communities. They start looking toward the training they're going to do in the summer to kind of help them decide and secure maybe a place in their service community. Um, what did what did your uh, mids do or former mids do in that regard as, as far as um, looking forward to their service? So one of mine was an early sub-select. So she had, she had spent actually the summer before her second class year um, kind of doing an internship, kind of getting ready so that she could early select subs. And then she had interviews early her second class year for wow. she was um, going to, to become a Bowman scholar. So all that stuff is, is early fall. I think I want to say she found out maybe in October mm -hmm. of her second class year that she was an early sub select. So um, so that's one, I mean, she started planning super early, talking to the community, talking to mentors that were in the community, just learning what she was going to be expected of her with her sub interviews where they have to go to DC for the sub interviews and meet with the Admiral and take tests. Right. Yeah. Or yes. Yeah. Just went through that. Yeah. Hugely intensive. And one of mine had, was hoping maybe to go seals. So he was, um, doing a lot of training, talking to people in the community, doing, they'd have screeners that start in the fall, mm -hmm. kind of work through. Mm -hmm. um, he ultimately decided not to go that route, but he, but the training was, he was getting involved, getting himself in shape, getting ready for it just in case. It's, it's an, it can be intense. And I have to say that the Naval Academy does, having had two that went through Naval Academy and the one that went through NROTC at Notre Dame, um, the Naval Academy does a tremendous job of train of of uh, making sure these kids are ready to face um, the the tests or the evaluations that they have before them, whether it's subs or seals or EOD or whatever community they're looking at going into, they make sure they're ready. And on my NROTC end, there was a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of intensive studying and training 
for the interview and, and for the test as well, because they get evaluated. So all of that happens and they start to think about that sometime in second class year and it'll happen later second class year over the summer or sometimes at the beginning of first year. But really, I think second class year is key because they do their service selection where they enter their top six options at the beginning of the first year academic year, correct? Yeah, they just, as a matter of fact, my son just put his in last week. So, and then, but picking out, deciding your training for the prior summer, you've got to kind of have some idea because, you know, are you going to put down, what type of crews are you going to try to put down for your first selection? And so on, like my current firstie is hoping to go Marines. So he did Leatherneck for his summer training. Um, So he had to know that ahead of time to, to put that in. Yeah, that's true. They have to really look ahead and plan ahead, which is a sign of a good leader too. So I know my oldest wanted to, his, his end goal was to do intelligence or something in cyber. And at the time, the pipeline didn't have a direct admit into the cyber community. So he had to find, find a roundabout way. And so he was all gung-ho, was going Marines, did Leatherneck, got a great rating, was going to go Marines. And then he spoke, and this is the importance of networking and just speaking to a variety of people in different communities. He spoke to a person that he had met, uh, one a former mid, an officer, had uh, been in Glee Club with him, and he went SWOL IP. So he got his surface warfare pin and then laterally transferred to the information community and got his IP pin. And he was doing exactly what my oldest wanted to do. And so at the last minute, there you go, he switched and went from Marines to SWO IP. And, and so that that's kind of the process they go through, but it's so important to talk to people, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, having that, which also, like you said, the, the Naval Academy does a great job of having mentors to talk to. I mean, they have like a company Marine representative that they can talk to if they're interested in going Marines. And I think they have availability to all of the service communities. So it's, and it's really important because they can give you an insight that you may not have gotten on your, you say pro mid or things like that. I mean, our Jack's class didn't even get to do pro mid. So mm-hmm. they, you know, the firsties now didn't get to have that, that type of an experience. So they're going in picking cruises kind of based on what what they find out from their mentors and, and people in the communities that they've been able to talk to. That's very true. I, I met uh, a mid a couple of years ago and she wanted to go aviation from the day she walked on the yard as a plebe. And her mission the four years was to meet every single person on the yard <clears throat> that had ever been in aviation. And she met them, she spoke with them, they knew who she was, she would ask for advice, she would just keep in constant contact. And she was juggling probably about 20, 30, 40 people that she actually went and actively went to meet. And she ended up getting aviation. um, And she was kind of ahead of the curve because she knew what to expect. She had had this breadth of information that she had received from all these various mentors. So as you mentioned, very valuable advice, Julie, and thank you for that, is that there are so many mentors on the yard that these uh, that the mids can, can depend on and can go and actively speak to, and they're glad to speak to them and mentor them. So that's really something very important that they can do, especially second class year, if not sooner. Um, and then, so that's kind of like service selection. They're looking toward commissioning, what service community they're going to be. 
Um, is there anything you'd like to add on that end? Because then we can move into the into the ring conversation. No, not really. I think um, as we talk more, maybe um, when we get into first year, we can add to that. I can't think okay. of anything right now for second class year. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So moving on to the class ring and ring dance. So the class crest is designed by a committee of like a small committee of mids that designed this crest. It gets approved. I believe the class gets to vote on it, if I'm not mistaken. And that's the crest that goes on the sides of the of the ring, uh, on one of the sides of the ring. And so second class year is when they get to order their ring. So please tell us all about that. I know that you had mentioned that your mids made their independent decision. Our mids asked us to be a little bit more involved in choosing different things. But tell us about the whole experience, especially leading up to ring dance, because they're not allowed to wear their rings until what, Julie? <laughs> yeah, it's like not until it's dipped in the seven seas. So and so they order them, like you said, you they start looking at them at parents weekend, then they have to have the orders in, I believe it's in November. And, I think and there's just late October, a, early November. Yeah. 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 And it's such a broad range of rings. You can go from the bare minimum ring all the way up to having heirloom family stones inlaid mm -hmm. into the rings. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, they have parts of the chapel dome you can put in it. There's just such, it's a huge selection process. Mine, like I said, I was kind of hands off. They all kind of knew sort of what they wanted and what they wanted to spend. And so they did all that kind of on their own. We we didn't pay anything for theirs. Some parents help pay for them. Yeah. We did like give the if they needed to um, have money up front to pay for it all, then we helped with that. And then would um, they would just pay us back when they could. Mm -hmm. But it's totally again one of those things that try not to compare yourself with other families and what Absolutely. they're doing because it's totally independent of your mid's wishes and how your family wants to handle it. That's great advice. That's great advice because we were, we were looking at, uh, so my dad's ring had an aquamarine in it. And uh, oddly enough, uh, both of my mids ended up choosing aquamarine, not because my dad had it, but they liked it. And so the little stones, uh, first of all, if you have, if you don't buy the stone from Jostens and you have it done somewhere else, so they had it done at the jeweler in the corner on city dock, it voids the Justin's warranty, right? So you have to be careful about that. And I mentioned that in my book. And so, but and this jeweler, and I forget the name of the jewel right now, whatever, uh, they give their own warranty if anything goes wrong with the stone or whatever. And so our, our little stone was like, I don't know, $300 at the time for a, a genuine aquamarine. Uh, so they decided to do that. They paid for their stone. And there were friends of ours that were looking at sapphires that were $8,000 and we would never be able to do that. The other thing too, is that my daughter, and I, and I, again, I mentioned this in the book, uh, had looked at a diamond cause that's her birthstone and a little, I think it was like maybe a quarter carat or half carat little diamond, uh, wasn't that bad. Actually, it was under a thousand dollars for good quality diamond, but then they started to put on the pressure like, oh, there's this diamond that's laser etched and this, and it's bright and it's shiny. Right. 
And it was twice as much money. So we have a friend who's a jeweler. My husband called him and he's like, yeah, no, all diamonds get etched. It is, you know, it is what it is. You're basically paying for the brand. And, and so she ended up going with something different, but just be aware of that, that, um, and I love what you said, Julie, and as with everything, and this goes for commissioning week as well, do what's right for your family. Don't feel the pressure to do what everybody else is doing. Do what's within your budget, do what um, you, uh, you're mid and you feel is the right choice for you. So I, I love that you said that because there is a lot of, it's a, it's a wide variety of people with a wide variety of means and, and you don't have to do what everybody does. Exactly. And one question I got last year from a lot of my parents was, do they have to buy a ring? Are they forced to buy a ring? My mid doesn't want a ring. And no, they're not. They're highly encouraged. There has always been a rumor that if you don't buy a ring, you have to meet with the daunt and explain yourself and you're pretty much pressured in. But I can tell you that is just a rumor. I don't ask me how I know, but (laughs) if they don't buy a ring, they don't have to meet with the daunt. So they may have to um, meet with their company commander. Sometimes they just, they check who doesn't order one just to make sure there's not a financial reason why they didn't order one to make sure they right. really just didn't want one, but it's not a pressure situation. Okay, good. That's good to know. Thank you for mentioning that. The other thing that I'd like to mention briefly is that there is a combat ring that is made out of just metal and it's not very expensive at all. And so one of our mids ended up getting the combat ring thinking when I'm deployed, I'll just take that with that ring has never left the case. Just saying. I've heard the exact same thing. Exactly. It's sitting there. I don't think he's ever taken it out. It's never gotten on his fingers. So anyway, FYI. And then can you tell us a little bit about ring dance? Because that is so exciting. We've been on campus. We were on campus, not for our oldest, but for our daughter and just to see them all dressed up and taking pictures and because the females get to wear their ball gowns and they get dressed up and they switch into the uniform before they go to the ball right so what what was your experience with that oh yeah that, so ring dance even if they don't buy a ring they can still have fun at ring dance just saying uh, but yeah my all of mine love you know ring dance is just an exciting time they're all dressed up they have you know Sometimes they'll, you know, just a big groups of them will get together for big dinners ahead of time. I mean, and, and the girls love getting in their formal wear. So that's, that's just yeah, always a they highlight. Get get it, they get out of their Navy uniform and they get to wear their, their beautiful dresses. And yeah. it is the Saturday of commissioning week. So this the excitement is in the air and Saturday and, and ring dance is what starts it all. Right. Cause that's the first big event of, of commissioning week. Yeah. It's like the big kickoff kind of for commissioning right. week. And then, so they go and have their dinner. Then they go and have dip their ring, the ceremonial dip into the water that's been collected from the seven seas. So they can dip it in and then they can officially wear, wear that ring. That's been actually, they got the rings probably in February. So that ring's been kind of sitting in there somewhere yeah. safe, safekeeping for all those months. That's the other thing um, that I forgot to mention. I'm sorry to jump in is that the USAA, if you don't have the USAA renter's insurance by now, you need to get it because the ring is covered for loss or theft or whatever under the USAA policy. Exactly. And we found that if you do the bundle, if you do their, you know, insurance, Mm -hmm. and by the time you add on the 
the like ring, our, the renter's insurance, it's the bundle discount basically pays for it. So you don't see a big difference in price. So very cool. definitely you want to have that, especially with that ring. Like I said, it's just kind of sitting there in a box, you know, maybe in the lockbox or something until, until the ring dance when they can finally put it on. And finally put it on. That's so exciting. Moving on to academics. So it is I think the most challenging year, I know that when we went for second class parents weekend, or at some point shortly thereafter, we had gone to visit. And I think our oldest had only had 10 hours of sleep in a span of two weeks to the point where he, where he saw a paper bag and it looked like a puppy running along the ground. He was literally hallucinating. And we had told them we'd bring dinner and uh, he calls us. He's like, Hey, uh, we're heading over to Dahlgren for dinner. It's like, uh, that's tomorrow, honey. He's like, no, no, no. But today is right. No, honey, today's Thursday. And he's like, what? And I'm like, okay, we'll bring you dinner. And we just like ran home, like put together this amazing dinner and brought it back for he and his roommates. He, he was just not sleeping because they have so many projects or kind of looking ahead to the capstone they want to do. Can you tell us a little bit about this very intense, especially since you went through it at the Air Force Academy, this very intense, it's probably one of the hardest academic years, correct? Yeah, all of, all of mine would say their second class year was the most difficult. I think they have the biggest course load, um, that, you know, as far credit wise, their second class year, and they're heavy into their majors courses by now. So it's just very, very intense. And for all of mine, I think just not only is it a heavy course load, but each class itself, it's now bigger projects and it's more important. It's not just like, oh, let me get through this core course. It's everything is building upon each other for their major. So it, it makes it more intense and they want to put actually a lot more effort into each class. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Depending on the major, they have so many projects that become due. So my my oldest was a cyber major. His one roommate was an aerospace engineering and his third roommate was a political science major. And guess who got the most sleep? Uh, and then my, my son and his aerospace roomie were the ones that vied for the less, least amount of sleep, I think, every every night. So it does get very difficult. And then on top of that, They've got this academic load, this responsibility, and they also have all this leadership now, right? So they've moved from their youngster year where they're mentoring their one plebe, maybe they're like helping with a platoon or maybe their training sergeant, but now they, they're helping to run the whole show. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. Yeah. They've now, you know, from company level all the way up to brigade level, they're in staff positions and as some of the listeners may know that the, it's the detailers and the one in those staff positions that are actually getting less sleep than the plebes and the youngsters that they're leading because they have to, you know, they have admin obligations that go along with the actual leading and mentoring their people below them. Definitely. And so after the academic year, or at some point we had talked about in, in the beginning of 2C planning ahead definitely by the beginning of the winter, like in January, they, they need to have figured out or they should be thinking toward what summer training they're going to do for their rising first summer. We discussed this a little bit 
in the beginning, but some of the training in the different communities that may be available, for example, with aviation and power flight. And, and know also, FYI, because my, my daughter is aviation, you don't have to participate in power flight to be selected for aviation, but it, it can help in other ways. Can you just talk to us about some of the opportunities available for their summer training? Sure. Yeah. You had mentioned power flight. One, I had two that went aviation. One did do power flight. The other one did not. Mm -hmm. um, ironically, the one that didn't do it, he ended up TAD at the academy after he graduated doing the, in the powered flight division. So he kind of got an idea, but that's, that's, you know, they get to go on the, um, and solo actually end up soloing in a, in the plane. Um, other communities, they can do sub cruises, uh, surface cruises. They have Leatherneck, which we briefly talked about, which is the marine immersion. There's um, seals like mini buds types, seal screeners that they go through. Pretty much any community that they're interested in, there's some type of a, a three-week training that they can apply for. And there are also internships um, that yes. can begin as early as uh, youngster summer and youngster uh, or rising second class year, but there are also internships that are available first year. Uh, so they just have to be, I have one mid that told me that they look at every single email that comes through there. They just at least glance at it and they have found so many opportunities for internships, for leadership positions that other mids ask them, how did you find out about that? I read the email because they get so bombarded with so many emails. A lot of them just, you know, clear their inbox or don't look at, look at them. So that's another good way to find out of about opportunities that may be available for summer trainings or internships that may help their, their service selection decision. And other opportunities that are available too as second class are the to be uh, plebe summer detailers. And that's usually first set or second set. And then um, they can also be detailers with, is it, I think STEM, or is that for youngsters, the STEM? I think youngster might be for STEM more. Yes, I think STEM and, um, and uh, NASS. And yeah, and the um, seminar, summer seminar are youngsters, but I, I think they may also have some second class second in class. summer seminar as well. Yeah, I think I'm not so. entirely sure on that, but yeah. And then, but then, and then some of them can also go and be detailers at the prep school. So like my son, just um, his last part of the summer, his third block, he went to the prep school and was a detailer there. So. Oh, at NAPS. Yeah. So he yeah, yeah, he loved that because it was like, you know, whole it's you have to have been um had gone to naps to become a detailer. So it was kind of the that makes sense group back together again as a detailer. So it's it's That's pretty like cool assignment. Coming 360, right? Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So that's good to know. And so then moving on, I think into first year, of course, as soon as they start classes, they do their service selection. So and their service selection and service assignment. Service selection is when they list their top six or so requests of the Navy uh, in order of preference of where they'd like to serve. And then sometime in November before Thanksgiving break, typically they will get their service, service assignment from big Navy. What can you tell us about service assignment? It's such an exciting time. Oh yeah, the, just the selection. I mean, like I said, my son had to put his in just last week. 
and just building up to that, they still like, I mean, you experienced kind of at the last minute, they think you think they know what they want the whole time. And then the last minute, like, oh, no, I'm putting this first. Like, wait, what? <laughs> so, yeah. So they get to rank order them and generally certain, you know, kind of some unspoken rules. If you want to go Marines, you want to put something Marine as your first and second choice. Basically, if you have Marine as your second choice and not your first in likelihood, you won't get selected for Marine. Probably. I think the, uh, they made it, they, they're made, they started making an exception was it last year or the year before where if you have SEALs or EOD, like a special warfare community first, yes. and you have Marine second, then you would get considered for Marines. But yeah, if you have like, That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and Marines, you're not going to get Marines. So Correct. Yeah. And then some people end up, you know, some communities are very short staffed that particular year. So they are kind of voluntold to go to that community. Um, subs is sort of notorious for that. That's so. very true. You get some quote unquote drafted. Um, yep. And there are also service assignments that require interviews and such, such as subs that we've mentioned, but for example, my oldest went to OIP and so about 200 mids interviewed for about two spots that were available in OIP, and uh, he ended up being one of the two spots. Interesting nice. because he was not at the top of the merit order. He was more in the 600s. Uh, so merit order does play a role, but I think uh, being able to interview well, knowing the, the, the subject matter, and I think being well-rounded because he was in glee club, he did fencing, he had so many like different things. He wasn't just academics and engineering. From what he said, he said that that's definitely what helped him is that he was well-rounded. So that's something to think about as well. Yes, that's great advice. Because I don't think we tend to think of that as parents in high school, you know, we were all into, you know, make sure you're involved in everything. But going through the academy, it's not something I really thought of, but all of my kids were involved in things like, you know, my girls were in Girls on the Run, where they'd go off campus and work with young girls, you know, kind of with leadership and running as sort of a mentor program. And just getting involved in those things is really important to your service selection. Yeah, Midshipman Action Group, if they're in officer's fellowship or uh, they're in their either sport. I mean, there's so many things. It's not even funny, like drum and bugle corps or any, any, any other group that just gives you exposure to just something different that can help make you well-rounded always helps. For us, actual service assignment, they're excited and they can't wait, but it can also be not a, not the happiest of time for some, because some have put, you know, just their last three and a half years into a certain service selection. And then when they, you know, are sitting there and they get their assignment, it's not exactly what they had hoped for. That's and true. hopefully we prepare them for that and just say, you know, you're going to bloom where you're planted. Yes. But it's, it's, it's hard on them when they, you know, have really hoped for something and, and put their heart and soul into training for it and then to not get selected and then have to kind of shift gears to something completely different. That's so true. And you just see the excitement in their face. And what I also mentioned in my book is you see how closely knit these mids are because for the ones that don't get their first choice, 
the other mids just come around them and just support them. And we, we saw that with some of our sons and daughters, best friends, and and it's just admirable. The other thing too, is that even if they get their first choice, I know, for example, in my son's class, two or three of his best friends got their service assignment, but then went through medicals and were disqualified for that service assignment medically. Um, There was one that was allowed to graduate, but didn't commission because of a medical condition that they found. So they will be going through medicals uh, throughout their first year. And there are some communities that are very stringent about their medicals. I know with aviation, they measure your the length of your trunk, the length of your femur, like just to make sure that you're going to fit into that tight jet seat. I think they do do a medical screener for subs as well, because I remember my youngest went through that. I'm not exactly sure the specifics, but it's a lot of it is kind of some testing on, you know, are they going to be psychologically able to go into this, you know, the, the small spaces <laughs> and not be claustrophobic, things like that. And they, they, I think they also have the same thing, height restrictions for subs as well. So if you're mainly like too tall, there's um, certain restrictions on that. But some of the, some of the things that, you know, they've, they've come in thinking they're healthy and everything's great. But then when they get to these medicals, it's things they didn't even think of that would disqualify them from their communities that they, you know, had hoped to be in or things that had happened while they were at the academy. It's like, oh yeah, that knee injury. Well, now mm-hmm. you're not eligible for this community or, and, and that's again, another thing. It's like, oh yeah, I worked so hard. I, I got this and now I'm being told I, and even worse, like you said, some, you know, a couple of my kids' friends didn't commission. They were allowed to graduate, but they didn't commission because yeah. they, they, they had things that happened to them while they were at the academy that made them not commissionable. Yeah, it's very true. Or sometimes they'll, uh, as you mentioned, depending on either the results or something that happened, instead of going active duty, sometimes they'll go restricted. That can be disappointing as well. So it's always good to just talk, I think, and just meant like you mentioned before, mentally prepare them for that. And then of course, after all of that's done and, and they're working on their capstone project. So every midshipman has to have a capstone, kind of like a thesis where they have this either project, whether it's engineering, it would actually be something they build or develop. If it's, uh, my daughter did two capstones because she had not enough to do, of course, um, and did two, uh, she was an English major. So she wrote two different papers um, and whatever, they would have to do for their capstone. They're working on this along with their uh, responsibilities uh, academically and then with leadership because right now they're running the show, right? They're they're the ones that are in charge. They're the ones that are the brigade commanders. They're the ones that are in the brigade staff, company staff at all levels. Uh, they're the ones that are running the show. Right. Yeah. And they're setting kind of the tone for the whole brigade for that year because they're kind of in charge of different policies, that kind of thing. And they also, I think, I believe, have a leadership capstone that they all have to do kind of a milit on the military side. So they have their major capstone and then they have the leadership one. So there it's it's a busy time getting ready for especially come spring when those projects are due. Yes, definitely. I remember uh, my my oldest was uh, Brigade PAO. So anytime that they needed a midshipman to interview or anytime there was a, you know, an announcement that had to be made or any anything to do with like 
spirit videos or I mean a ton anything having to do with public affairs and right. the brigade went through the this kid and <clears throat> later on I heard from their roommates that there was literally a line outside his door of people that needed to see him for this that or the other and the roommates would just kick him out and it's like can I wait no you cannot wait get out of my room oh my and gosh so, and and so that's <laughs> especially when they're at a company level or a brigade position or a battalion position it's a myriad of responsibilities that they have just in leadership alone that, that eats up their time. So for parents, be understanding. It's exciting, but they're also very busy. And then of course, Julie, everything points toward commissioning, commissioning. week. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell us about your triple going to be quadruple experience about commissioning week? Oh gosh. So, um, it never gets old. I'll tell you that. I mean, we just, it's just such a fabulous time on the yard. Everyone is just, it's just such a joyful, happy time. And, um, being, having gone through it three times and then knock on wood, hopefully four, um, it, there's always still something new. I mean, I see the, I see the blue angels every single time and every single time it's just as phenomenal. Mm. It's just a, a busy week. But again, I think you touched on, you know, kind of let your firstie set the pace on things. Some things like you might really want to go to, but they're like, no, I really don't want to do that. So kind of take that. Some things you can do without them. It's like, okay, well, you don't want to go. We're going to go do this, but um, really take their feelings into consideration. They may have plans to go to, you know, other part, you know, a lot of graduation parties that week mm -hmm. and some will be just, just your mid, you know, it's not a thing that parents go to. So give them that space to do that kind of thing. Cause they want to spend time with their friends that they're not going to see for who knows how long. And they're also going to be super busy that week. So don't go in expecting you're going to be with them 24 seven because they have so many obligations. They have to be in or a lot of times they have to muster early in the morning. Yeah. They, so they won't even stay with seven, you. Right. Yeah. They're at seven. And that's every, every day they have to be at seven. Yeah. So sometimes ours, you know, we wouldn't even stay with us. They'd stay if some of the time, one of the homes we had was kind of far out. So they would stay closer in or mm -hmm. stay even in the, in the dorm or two of mine had apartments by that time. Cause they were going to do TAD on the yard. Right. So they um, would stay at their apartment that was closer to the yard rather than in the, the house we had just so they could get there quickly. And so yeah. So kind of being flexible, knowing that there's going to be, be ready to do things on your own because they're going to have lots of obligations on the yard. Yeah, we, we definitely opted to not have a set schedule. We only, and I, and again, I discussed this in my book, we only asked for three things. So it was the grad ball. Of course, the soup's reception was mutual. So, but for uh, things that we asked for amid was the grad ball the family dinner uh, on Thursday. And then we had a breakfast on Wednesday morning, right after their practice, because they have a couple of hours that are kind of free. Mm -hmm. And so those were the only three things that we asked. And the rest of the time was his. And I think he really, really appreciated not having the pressure of having to be there. And we also, as you mentioned, set expectation with family that and guests that they're not really going to see. And, and then they might be pleasantly surprised that they do get to see more of him or her. 
than they thought. Uh, but it's important to set those expectations so that there are no hurt feelings and so that your firstie doesn't have any or feel any pre more pressure than they are already under. So I have a podcast on commissioning week and kind of uh, logistics and direction. So I would direct you to my, uh, my commissioning bootcamp podcast. And what I'd like to ask you specifically about commissioning is when things don't go as expected during commissioning week, what can parents do? And again, this is one of the things that, for example, one of his friends found out that he wasn't going to be able to commission commissioning week. Crazy. Uh, but that, that's the way that it happened. And maybe some guests don't get to come in or something happens. How do we, how do we roll when things don't go as expected, Julie? What do you think? That's sad when they find out commissioning week. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just a blow to everyone. Hopefully the four years up to this point, uh, sometimes five of Simper Gumby has helped with this. Definitely being there for your mid when things don't go as expected, uh, supporting them and trying to make the most out of the situation. I know some um, it's, they may have rented their house for the week, but then mm. especially like if they're in track and field mids, their nationals are during commissioning week. So yeah. if yay, my, my first team made nationals, but now where, you know, where am I going to be? Am I going to be watching them at nationals? Am I going to be on the yard for commissioning week? So I don't miss out on these important milestones. Are we going to divide and conquer? Mm -hmm. And you don't know that they don't know that they made nationals until just before commission. I mean, really, it's like maybe a couple of weeks ahead of time. So yeah, that happened with my daughter-in-law, actually. They, uh, she was in the lacrosse team that made nationals. And so they had to skip commissioning and they ended up having their own like private commissioning ceremony afterward, but they missed everything. Yeah. And if like, say like, so the national, it's actually like the national qualifiers first and then for track and then the nationals are held after commissioning. So if your first team qualifies for the actual nationals, they can't even commission and graduate yet. So they oh, wow. go and compete in nationals and then they commission and graduate after. So you're like, it's like, wait a minute. What so happened? it's just, yeah. So there are unexpected things that happen during commissioning week. And again, if just trying to be flexible and um, Simper Gumby's just stays true all the way through. And then even as they go out in the fleet, um, I would say I wanted to touch back on commissioning week. Also, one of my favorite things that you mentioned was the soup garden party. Mm -hmm. So that's one I would, and usually the, your grad's going to want to go to that, but it's just, that's kind of the highlight has always been our highlight of commissioning week. So I agree. Soup's garden party along with the blue angels for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We had one year, I think it may have been my 2019 while we were there, the blue angels came in to the soups garden party and there's one of them sitting at our table while we're eating. So it's oh, pretty cool. That's yeah, so fun. Actually during one of the garden parties, it was so funny because we met the CNO Admiral Richardson at the time. And we were talking about our kids, of course, because that's what mid-parents do, and mentioned our daughter. And he's like, oh, I want to meet her. Where is she? She's like, well, she's not here. And so my husband, like, texted her, the CNO wants to meet you. And she's like, yeah, right. And he's like, no, 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 really? And so she texts me, mom, is it true? Because <laughs> oh dad's always a jokester, right? And so within five minutes, she had changed into her, like, 
ceremonial dress or whatever, or summer whites and had, and was there and got to meet the CNO. So be prepared for anything. Anything can happen. Exactly. Yep. So true. And so we get through commissioning week, commissioning day, which is so uh, emotional and especially for the mids because Chances are that's the last time they'll all be together until probably the 10-year reunion, because at the five-year reunion, everybody's still all over the place. And then they go into the Fleet or Marine Corps. And that's a very different experience. So you mentioned TAD, and that's temporary assigned duty. So a lot of them do stay on the yard for TAD until they have to report to their uh, first duty station. And I'd like to kind of refer parents to my podcast uh, with my friend Jess, and it's on surviving the fleet and deployments. And it's a great podcast from the spouse and from the enlisted point of view and and how um, officers can, from her point of view, can, can help their enlisted. She survived like six deployments as a spouse over a span of 15 years. So that's a great podcast to listen to as far as that. But what can you tell us about your kid's deployment? And then I'll mention a couple of things about mine. So um, fortunately, so my first two, they both went aviation originally and um, both ended up dropping. um, Mainly they had a medical dropped from being a pilot. And so they went into, one went into the civil engineering corps and one went into human resources. So neither of them have deployed, um, knock on wood. So I'm actually experiencing my first deployment right now because my 2019 Submariner is somewhere under the sea. So, and it's, it's difficult because she, especially with her, she's one that we are in frequent contact with. And, you know, we've got a couple of emails, that's it. We can send her emails, but when she gets them is kind of, she kind of will get a lump at a time. Mm-hmm. So just the lack of communication and, and not knowing where she is, 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 is unnerving really. So lots of, lots of prayers for that one. Yeah. And it's very difficult in a way it's like plead summer all over again, but they're not safely in the yard. Now they're out in the real world. And I think exactly. that got my heart the most yeah. and you don't, you don't hear from them. And then the thing that I clung to the most, and I've mentioned this many times is that no news is good news. And the other thing I cling to is ignorance is bliss because there were stories that I heard post deployment that I am glad I did not know, or I would not have survived. And the other thing that I would say, besides the lack of communication and and know that they will communicate when they can, but it's very sparse. Like you said, like maybe a couple of emails in a span of months, like our oldest was deployed for nine months. And over the span of nine months, I think we got five emails and they yeah. were in the middle of planning a wedding too. So that oh just gives you an idea of the yeah. little uh, communication that there is, but also when they first get to their first duty station, in the case of my oldest, he was assigned, they changed his assignment. So he thought he was going into the cyber and all of a sudden he's over, he's engineering and he's going to be in charge of both engineering divisions and it's a steam plant. And he's like, uh, okay then. 
And so the first time he meets all his sailors, there are 80, 90 sailors, and they're all looking at him. And he's like, I have no clue what I'm doing here. Like, what? And, and so he called us three days in a row, which I knew right away. And you know, Julie, they, yeah. these kids never reach out. <laughs> yep. And I knew that, that something was going on. I knew that, that this kid was stressed. And so we just said, look, you know this reach out to your master chief. They're going to guide you. They're going to mentor you. Reach out to your warrant officers because he, since he was over two divisions, he had two of each. So talk to your master chiefs, talk to your, get to know your sailors, get to know what they do, learn. Don't be afraid to say you don't know. And after about three days, he stopped calling and we figured, okay, he's starting to get this. Uh, so don't be surprised if you get a call and you have a, a, a brand new officer that's like a deer in the headlights. And they'll just direct them to their master chief. Just tell them they've survived Plebe Summer. They've survived four years at the academy. They're, they have a learning curve and they will survive this too. And you're back to being the encourager. You're back to being the handholder until they're ready to move on their own. Did you have anything of that sort with, with your officer that deployed? I haven't really heard much from her because she's currently deployed. But she, so originally she was assigned a boat that was in, um, in dry dock. So she, they actually put her on a different one, uh, just so she could get her, get the experience and some of the quals that she needed to be deployed. So she's, she went on to a boat that isn't even her crew that she's used to and let's, you know, nothing. So wow. she was very nervous about that at first. So kind of in the same situation, she's like, you know, I'm going into kind of the unknown, mm -hmm. um, but from her emails, it sounds like she's kind of straighten things out with that. And she's feeling comfortable. She's gotten some of the quals that she needs. And, and surprisingly, she said she loves the food. So she said they feed us great. So I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, so that was a plus. Cause she's, you know, her, her meals are kind of like, she loves to cook and loves to create meals. So I know that was, she was kind of concerned about that. And my son-in-law, he's a helicopter pilot. So he has deployed, he was gone for probably um, almost not quite a year, almost a year in Japan. And so dealing with my daughter, his wife on her first, his first deployment was also kind of some of the same mentoring for her on dealing with not hearing from him and being away. And, and then if incidents happen that you hear about it and you don't hear from them right away, of course, that causes undue worry because sometimes they get on communication lockdowns if there's any type of training incident. And yeah. so you're worried because you haven't heard from them, but they can't because they're not allowed to communicate for a certain amount of time. So that's, that is that true. Added yeah. And that, that's where for me, like no news is good news. Exactly. It is, to me, it's like a lifesaver because um, you don't want to hear anything, right? Unless it's from them directly. So exactly. Um, the other thing uh, with, deployments is I'm glad that the food and the subs is good because on the ships, I think it got old really fast. <laughs> and at yeah. some point, my oldest said I that when because okay, so I, I mentioned this before as well, I, I was able to be on a tiger, tiger cruise on a ship for nine days. And when they returned from deployment, and by the way, their deployment was extended by a month. And so that can also happen. And so he said that every day is pretty much the same as the other and they start to meld one into the other. And the only way that he could tell what day it was, was by the food that was being served. Because every yes. Tuesday, for example, was Taco Tuesday. Taco every Tuesday. Tuesday was, 
Yeah. So it was roast beef, whatever. So did your daughter say the same thing? Oh yeah. She said, she did say that she said the food's good, but it's, it gets, it's like a definite pattern. Like every Tuesday, taco Tuesday, every um, Monday is this every Thursday seafood or something. So it's definitely, they knew what day it was based on what was being served. That's so, so funny. Yeah. And so that's with deployments, but with some communities, for example, with the sub community, with aviation community, SEALs have to go through BUDS, of course, they have schoolhouse and training. And uh, can you uh, talk a little bit about the, the Marines, they, they go through TBS and then uh, with subs, and then I can talk a little bit about aviation. Sure. Yeah. So the Marines, as you mentioned, TBS, that's the basic school. So they'll um, go through that. Usually upon graduation, once they commission, they kind of get, depending on their um, order of merit sort of thing, they get to pick their date for mm-hmm. when they're going to start TBS. And it can go anywhere from missing their 30 days basket leave all the way up to like not starting until October or November. So mm-hmm. depending on what date they go, they may have you know, temporary duty somewhere, usually on the yard. And then they go to the, go to the basic school. And while they're in basic school, as they get close to finishing that, that's if they're not going to aviation, if they're going into another MOS, then they'll um, find out what community they're going into, some supply, logistics, um, human resources. You know, there's a whole whole line of things that's different than with going into a Navy community because they go to all sort of all lines, even support fields coming out of, if they're going Marine ground, some go into combat operations. It all depends on what they select um, and what they're selected for. Mm -hmm. And then if they're aviation, so they have to go through the basic school first, then they go into the pipeline to get into aviation. So it's a long, and then sub school, they go, um, some will be Bowman scholars. So they'll go to Naval postgraduate school first and get their master's and then they'll go to start nuclear power school some will go right from their after their basket leave they'll go to nuclear power school then to prototype school where they actually learn the actual submarine so the first year is basically just nuclear power it's not um related to actually the functions on the sub it's mm-hmm. it's more the nuclear reactors on the subs and then they move to the prototype school. Then they go to their actual, you know, they find out their assignment for their actual boat and, and we'll go there. So a year and a half, two years in, they're finally getting to their wow. That's permanent base. Yeah. So you mentioned boat. So subs are called boat and ships are ships. So like surface warfare is ships. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of forgotten that about the sub community that the submarines or boats and that ships anyway yeah I was confused about that too I'm like wait why do you keep saying boat you're going on a sub she's like yeah we call them boats yeah <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> and then with aviation community now there's also SWO so my oldest was SWO and so they get uh, assigned to a ship and they actually get to choose their ship during ship selection, which happens usually in January of their first year. I like to call it the NFL draft without the money, but all the bling. And they get to choose their ship. Some are blue chipped, meaning they probably had a surface cruise at some point on that ship. And they chain of command really felt that this particular mid would bring uh, a lot to the table. So they've offered him a like a, a blue chip, a direct uh, selection. They've reserved a spot for this mid on that 
on that chip. And some mids choose that blue chip and, and some don't. Then they'll get out to their duty station and then they have to begin their quals. So quals can take anywhere from 18 months to two years. And some quals are on land, but most of them are underway. And so if you have a ship that's dry docked, that's really going to set you back as far as getting qualifications. And as you mentioned, Julie, also where, where your daughter was sent on a different sub because her sub was dry docked. Uh, the same thing happens with SWO. Uh, sometimes they'll just put you on a ship, which happened to my daughter-in-law, just to get her um, qualifications done while they're underway. When they complete all their qualifications, they have to go through all these boards. They have to be tested. And then the final board, they call it the murder board. So officers and non-commissioned officers can ask you any question about anything in the Navy. It could be pregnancy leave. It can be anything. And you have to know the answer to whatever they ask you. And so finally, once you're done with that, you get your PIN. In my son's case, then he transferred to IP. And then he had to start the qualification process all over again in the IP community. So it just depends. And then, of course, aviation can be TAD on the yard. You actually get to choose the date that you start, again, based on merit order. And they that you would go to Pensacola and you start with knife is the first level. And then you go to primary. And then if you're a, a pilot, you'll, you'll break off from everybody starts together, NFO and pilots. And then the pilots break off for their pilot training, and then the NFOs continue onto their intermediate and, and advanced, and then they get assigned their aircraft, and they go to their aircraft-specific training. Same thing with pilots, and then pilots can complete their training either uh, in Milton. After they're finished the training in Pensacola, Milton's like a half hour away. They can continue their pilot training there, or they can go to Corpus Christi, I believe, and I think helicopter training, if I'm not mistaken, is in Texas. Uh, but don't quote me on that. That's kind of a little bit about aviation. Now, interesting, sometimes they get backed up. Sometimes they have selected too many NFOs. Sometimes they've selected too many pilots. And right now, for example, there is a multi-month delay in pilots getting started with training. So now they're getting starting to get sent off to San Diego for temporary duty. They're getting sent off to Norfolk for temporary duty so because they don't want them sitting around for six, eight months until they start their training. So do expect that as well. And again, just Semper Gumby. And the other thing I wanted to add, Julie, talking about the Bowman Scholar and they can get their master's is if, if a midshipman is ahead in their matrix. So like if they've validated, so they've validated courses, so they had a lot of space their senior year. Yeah, then they can apply to graduate school and they can begin graduate school the, the spring semester or the winter semester of their first year. And then they come back, they commission, and then they finish their graduate school. And then they join the fleet when they finish their graduate degree. So that's always an option to uh, great kids that are willing to do all that. And there's other, pro there's, you know, different scholarship programs aside from the Bowman Scholar is, um, I believe, I think it's not just subs. I think it's nuclear specific though. So, so I think there might be some surface warfare that get Bowman's, but generally it's subs. So they go and will get, be able to go to get their master's. There's Trident scholars. So there's several master's scholarships that they can apply for if they are, you know, if they fit into what the requirements of the scholarship. So we've had some Rhodes scholars mm -hmm. from yeah. the Naval Academy. So there are definitely avenues to get their master's before they after they commission, but before they really start their, whatever their service selection is. Service. Yeah. And then the Navy will often send, send them back as a, 
sort of end their commitment, but whether thinking whether they're going to decide to re-up, they may offer to send them to get their master's at that point, kind of to encourage retention. So like my oldest son ended up right before his five years was up, they sent him back to get his um, master's in operations research. Um, at the same time, my daughter was going for her Bowman scholarship. So they were both at Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey together. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it was oh. great. Yeah, you, you can visit two at once. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, it was height of COVID. So we didn't even, the one had a one-year program. So we didn't even get to visit her while she was there. And then we were able to get to my son's graduation, at least out there. So that's, yeah, that's kind of sad, but Monterey's gorgeous. So it was a nice trip. No, I love, I love Monterey. And actually we love the Monterey Aquarium. It's one of our favorites. So getting sidetracked, but <laughs> squirrel. Um, and then if we can talk a little bit about the service terms. So we know that the two for seven is finishing two years at the Naval Academy and then serving five, but depending on your community, you might be required to serve additional time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, well, aviation is probably one of the biggest ones. They go through their pilot training, which we just mentioned could take, you know, up to two years or more, and then they don't even start their their commitment, which I believe is nine, is it nine year commitment? And for NFOs, it's six, I believe. Yeah. And that's from, um, and yeah, the, the so. clock doesn't start running. You're right. Until after they've finished flight school or their right. flight. So they're a good, you know, 10 years in or so by the time they finish their commitments. Um, yeah. Subs it's, I believe it actually starts as soon as they start school. So mm -hmm. yeah. um, if they go to MPS first, like my daughter it doesn't start until after that with her in her case her commitment for going to MPS was served concurrently so it didn't add anything to her commitment I think they've since changed that since she went through so if you go to MPS first it adds to their five-year sub commitment so they'll end up a little bit longer something to be aware of mm -hmm. and also if sometimes if they if they get their master's it will add to their service commitment time there are different things that they they can do that would add to their time, but it also enhances their professional qualifications as well. With that, uh, we've given a fairly complete picture of everything. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add? I think that kind of covers pretty much everything. That's kind of a kind of a whirlwind tour of the I last think, two years at the Naval Academy. Yeah, I think and I beyond. Think, I think we did a I think we did a pretty good job. Pat on the yes, back for you, Julie. Yay, thank you. Thanks for having me again. I really oh, enjoyed no, it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And of course, you know the drill as we draw to a close. Um, I just like to remind everyone that there are about 22 podcasts out there that might be helpful for all stages or for all class years at the Naval Academy. This is just uh, the, the most recent, but check those out. Also, my book, A USNA Man Mom's Journal, is available at the Midstore right now exclusively. So you can call them or order on Navy Online and get your own copy to help walk you through uh, the journey and for commissioning planning and just to get an insight into what happens each year. And of course, uh, Julie, it's always a pleasure to have you on here to have your expertise as a 
four-time Navy mom and uh, for uh, just your perspective from your service experience is always so invaluable. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. And now we say go Navy. Beat Army. Who are they playing this weekend? I don't you remember. You know what? I don't even remember.